Hi everyone, welcome to Social Problems Week 12. Um, Last week we talked about education, this week we're going to do a total flip and talk about war, the causes of war, cost of war, and start our sociological perspective of what is war. Um, We have two kind of different types of topics this week. On the next slide you see then we, we go into this idea of what is terrorism. Um, and so our, our main perspective is looking at this idea of war um, and looking at uh, what is terrorism. Um, so if you start on slide four, you see that I give some pretty uh, definitions of this idea of war. Um, it's the most violent form of conflict refers to organized armed violence aimed at a social group in pursuit of an objective. Um, and there are rules to war, particularly that um, it has to be kind of, of declared in a sense. That's really important to kind of remember. Um, and it's why it's sort of different from what we call conflict or a terrorist act. Because, again, war is usually done by nation states. And there's a sort of declaration of war um, that makes it different. Um I give you guys just sort of an example of what's going on in terms of U.S. declarations of war. But of course, you understand we have been through many different types of conflicts over the years. And while we think about this idea of the U.S. being in a state of peace because civilians have been in a state of peace, at least in terms of of your lifetime, really the U.S. is constantly in war. Um, as you see, right, just a few to name Revolutionary War, Civil War, World War II, Korea, et cetera, et cetera. So we're, o- we're always in some type of conflict or war. And so actually when thinking about this idea of the U.S., um, in terms of war, our natural state, and natural is maybe the wrong word, but in terms of our historical state has been mostly involved in in terms of a war. Um, I go ahead and give you different uh, definitions of causes of wars that we have, right? So you see on slide nine, you see perceived threats, cultural and religious differences. Go ahead and look over these um, sort of definitions of why we get into war. And of course, uh, in the last slide, we look at the cost of war, um, particularly our cost of war is something to kind of pay attention to. Um, the chart that I give you on slide 15 is actually a bit outdated. We're up to $700 billion when it comes to war expense, um, but we're still outranking everyone combined, and that includes China, Saudi Arabia, Russia, United Kingdom, India, France, and Japan. Um, so we spend the most in terms of war. Um, And of course, this is something that has been highlighted on the news recently. Um, I don't know if you guys saw there was money in our COVID release budget to that we gave to the defense industry to make and manufacture masks for the American public. And we saw that that was instead spent on war technology. Um, And so there is sort of this back and forth in terms of um, sort of the defense agency, which I'll talk about in a bit. as well as um, right, how much gets spread into actual soldiers, how much they make, um, how much um, is, is put into technology and private businesses and other aspects of this, like rebuilding countries. Um, and so there's a lot of different costs of war, and I put them all in terms of um, starting at slide 13. Um, and this is, of course, excludes the cost of lives, right? Which is 
um, I would argue, the biggest cost of war. But um, I guess it just really depends on who you are. Um, an important term to realize and to know is on slide 16, the military industrial complex, right? The close association of federal government, the military and the defense industry. Um, and this is one that, that talks about why spending is so high here in the U.S. is that we have this very close connection with the federal government, the military and defense industries. And defense industries usually imply private companies who make certain aspects of, of machinery or um, things like file rifles fire rifles or uh, planes, jets, et cetera, et cetera. And so obviously there's um, a connection between the three um, and why we have such a high amount in terms of spending here in the U.S. Um, I have some sort of links for you to look at um, the most recent different types of war, particularly the war in Syria, right, which was a very unique civil war in terms of of how civil wars took place before. Um, civil wars usually would take place where, you know, people in the same country fight each other, right, similar to our civil war. Um, what made Syria so unique is that it had both sides had so many different countries contributing funds and resources that it prolonged what usually happens in civil war is that usually one side runs out of resources, um, where in Syria about 17 different countries were backing either side. Um, and so therefore having all these resources led a very drawn out civil war, something that um, a lot of theorists are arguing this might be sort of the future in terms of looking at civil wars compared to maybe one or two backers. Um, they saw they said that about 16 different countries had bombed Syria, right? And and so that being said, you have a lot of influencers involved, right, in a quote unquote civil war, and that might sort of change the way we think about civil war because usually it's it's two factions in one country and with so much international involvement um one it drawed off the civil war right it it, it, it realistically wouldn't have lasted so long if it wasn't this involvement to um kind of looking at the world stage of how we think about war um in terms of of an international perspective um i also have some videos there from iraq right something you guys might be more familiar with uh, we've been in and out of Iraq several times, in and out of Afghanistan several times. Um, and so these are just some videos talking about sort of the situation there on slide 19 for you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and switch to the sociological perspective of war, looking at functionalism, conflict theory, and symbolic interactionists. And this time I'm going to add in feminist theories. We usually don't look at feminist theory, particularly because it is so close to conflict theory with a gender perspective. Um, but uh, war actually is very interesting when you add a gender element to it. And that's why I'll be talking about feminist theory today. Um, so for functionalists, again, um, structural functionalists argue that war serves a purpose. And the reason that they state that war serves a purpose um, is that it could uh, bring sort of, of people together, right? It, it encourages sort of social reforms. They argue that it, it pushes for technological advancements, right? So things like airplanes, cell phones, right? All from uh, war technology. Um, and so these are all things they argue that, that war is very useful. And they, they state that realistically, 
Um, we wouldn't really have war unless it served like sort of a function for society. Um, short term, it could stimulate the economy. That's very rare. And that really depends on what part of the war you're from. If, if, for example, if you're the country being bombed, it's probably not going to do much for your economy. But if you're the person selling weapons to bomb the country, it probably does really well in terms of helping um, your economy. Um, conflict theorists argue um, that really the root of war is about conflict, right? Particularly the controlling of political, economic, and religious, um, sorry, re- uh, controlling of resources based on having uh, this control um or having different political, economic, religious ideologies. So again, it's about this idea of control, whether you're uh, controlling resources or ideologies. Um, and so it, it's it's about the sort of uh, conflict of, of power and struggle, which is something we know very well with conflict perspective. Um, but if you're a conflict perspective looking at the war aspect, you're really going to be looking at this idea of either materials, right? Um, who owns what materials? And we could really think about this when we think about colonialism, a lot of people went to war um, because they didn't have a lot of resources. So for example, England and tea, right? We think of England having sort of this association with tea, but tea is not grown in England. Where is tea grown? In India and Sri Lanka. So uh, how do you get really cheap tea, especially if you come from a country that doesn't have a lot of resources and, and not something appealing in terms of trade for these places like India and Sri Lanka? Oh, you got to take them, right? And then you could take the resources. Um, and so if you're a conflict theorist, you're looking at uh, this type of, of colonialism perspective. You're looking at the military industrial complex. You're looking at how lobbyists played an influential role in terms of gaining um, money for, um, for the military um, and looking at this idea of, of who benefits from this money. So, for example, soldiers make an average of, what, 35 to maybe you know, if you're a foot soldier starting out as a recruit, uh, you don't make that much money, right? Compared to someone who's been a lifetime in the military or even have access to being a lifetime in the military because that's not offered as much as it used to be. And so you have a lot of uh, kind of power structures within the military itself that if you're a conflict theorist, you would look at. Um, if you're a symbolic interactionist, um, you're, you're looking at this idea of, again, attitudes and definitions of war. Um, so you're looking at it in the sense of this way of how we think about things like killing, for example. So when we, when someone dies in a war, we call it a casualty. When someone dies other ways, right from a gunshot, for example, we might call it murder. Um, and so if you're a symbolic interactionist, you're kind of looking at this idea of how we sort of, um, legitimize war in a way, uh, looking at media images, for example, political attitudes. Um, and so that's something you might look at in terms of a symbolic interactionist, looking at the symbols around this idea of war. And as I said, um, we usually don't bring in feminist theory, but this time we are looking at how there's a very strong connection 
um, between this idea of war and gender. Particularly, we see that countries with low level of gender equality are more likely to experience both civil and interstate war. So I think that's something really important to kind of think about. Um, if you have low gender equality, as as we slip in terms of the U.S. of our gender equality, um, you're more likely to have more conflict within the society. Um, and so something to consider in terms of, of the future in, in, in this country. Um we also see, of course, there's a lot of, of female discrimination in the military itself, um, where we see uh, very few opportunities are finally being opened up um, in terms of, of really strict things like Navy uh, the Navy SEALs, right? We have some women finally entering into this um, aspect of the military, which used to be very, still is very male-dominated. Um, and again, we have these very gendered eyes structures right remember in our last class on gender we talked about this idea of gender as a social construct just like race is a social construct um and so we have this idea this this phony argument that like men are aggressive women are peaceful um and so we we kind of in the sense separate a lot of this this aspect so a lot of terms of looking at gender and and war is is a really interesting perspective um, I'm going to spend the last of this class talking about terrorism. I really, really, really want you guys to look at the Orientalism by Edward Said. It's the link that I left on week eight. Said is a genius in many ways. He's a, he was a professor at Columbia University. Um, and really what he talks about is this perception that we have of people from the Middle East. Um, particularly how much we stereotype people from the Middle East um, when it comes to things like this idea of terrorism. Terrorism, like all things we study, is a very complex idea. Um, it's really difficult um, really to think about what is terrorism compared to what are other forms of type of conflicts like war and, and conflicts, for example. Um, I have a definition for you. It's not the only definition on slide nine. Uh, but it's the premeditated use of or threatened use of violence against civilians by an individual or group to gain a political or social objective. Transnational terrorism occurs when terrorist attacks are not restricted to or centered within one country, and domestic terrorism occurs uh, within sort of the nation itself, right, where terrorist actions happen within the nation themselves. We also have something known as state-sponsored terrorism, and that's when one government provides money for an, for weapons, whatever, to engage in another act of violence in another nation. And so um, we have, as the United States, have a very interesting relationship with terrorism as terrorists ourselves, right, during the revolution times, Um and, and of course, as uh, sponsoring state terrorism, as I have the example here where we gave money to people like the Taliban um, to um, right to um, to give them training and weapons in the 1980s. And of course, this comes back at us later uh, when we entered the Afghanistan war in the 90s. 
Um, and so we have we have played a role in sort of all of these types of terrorisms, particularly the rise of domestic terrorism that we have in our country uh, with white supremacists. Um, and so if you would have paid attention to the news, you would you would look at places like Portland, um, where they have um, the Proud Boy rally, for example. Um, we, we see shooters. Um, Charlottesville is another great example where someone drove uh, where um someone drove his car in in the middle of of peaceful protest and so um there's definitely been a rise in domestic terrorism i'm almost afraid to say this on camera so i want you to watch these two videos right that talks about this idea of what is terrorism versus revolution um the real answer to that is really if you win the war or if you win the conflict you get to sort of rewrite history and so i know a lot of people in england who used to joke or maybe take seriously about the american revolution as of what we call it as a terrorist act against the crown right because the american revolution wasn't really this established war at first we have it by based on people doing very violent terrorist acts right um our most popular one is destroying property with tea into the river with the boston tea party um right we were we were harassing and killing people who were loyal to the crown um and if you ever want to visit uh a visual of this i think um turn on netflix is a really great example of of what happens during um quote-unquote terrorism or revolution because these things are messy what i can tell you about terrorism and what i want you to think about is is how we kind of wrap it up in terms of terminology and so i think a really good example of this is hamilton right if you guys saw the play hamilton um washington and and hamilton talk about this right they're losing the war they don't have resources um so what do they do how do they win well they're going to do things by they're going to strike things on night they're going to relentlessly attack troops and this is all things that happen right like not having a lot of money the american the um Right, the, the colonists had to do things that were quick, quiet, and cheap, right? So blow up things at night, for example. Um, you know, they couldn't fight them head on one by one. They had to steal resources. They had to kill people. Um, you know, as Hamilton says, cut supply lines, steal contrabands, right? Um, and so this is sort of kind of a very interesting perspective in terms of how we kind of look at terrorism versus things like revolution in in um in history and really as i said if if you come out the winner usually it's called a revolution however um it doesn't stop it from other people calling it terrorism on slide 13 and four uh, sorry on slide um 13 i give you examples of this um where we look at sort of two kind of groups that fought each other um, and would have been both called revolutionists and terrorists. And so I think uh, the Irish Republican Army is a really good example of this, right? If you're from Ireland, you would call them uh, revolutionaries. If you're from Britain, you would call them terrorists. Um, we could look at Mau Mau's in Kenya, right, or what used to be a British colony and now known as Kenya, uh, where the Mau Mau um, used to fight off British colonists. And again, these are all violent acts, just as our American Revolution was violent, right? We didn't go to the British and said, oh, please, could we have our country back? No, like we, we fought them, right? Um, and so we see this happening um, in terms of, of, in all aspects, in terms of, of revolution or terrorism. 
Um, and of course, the British would call the Mau Mau terrorists, um, and the Mau Mau called themselves revolutionists. This is the same happening in terms of, of um, Al- the Algerian War, uh, where the French would call Algerians um, fighting in the war terrorists, and the French, um, sorry, and Algerians will call themselves revolutionists. So this idea of terrorism is 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 very tricky in a sense because um it, it it's really hard to categorize and it's really hard um to kind of of know in a sense of 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 why people fight why people might say it doesn't matter why they fight right et cetera et cetera depending on who you are um but it is a very tricky concept to kind of teach but understanding um, that when we think about terrorism, I gave you guys sort of definitions of them, right? S- state-sponsored, um, transnational terrorism, for example, and then really thinking about this aspect of of how this sort of plays out in in actual um, hist- in actual history or in the present, in a sense, um, particularly looking at what we call. Uh, terrorist groups. I have slides sort of on on that perspective of terrorism. Obviously, um, Al Qaeda and um, September 11th, right, would be our our something we um, talk about a lot. Um, September 11th is actually another good example of state terrorism because Saudi Arabia gave money to Al Qaeda to to um, f- fuel this plan, and so um, Saudi Arabia would be considered sort of an active state terrorism. Um, and so I have other examples here where we think about ISIS, right? Um, but what's really interesting is what Saeed hones on and what's something I want you to think about is that when we think about this idea of terrorists or who is the terrorist, um, we're more likely to look at someone from the Middle East than we are actual terrorists or at least rise of terrorism in our country today, which is white re- uh, right-wing extremists. Um, I left you guys some Newsweek articles to kind of talk about this, um, where we stereotype one person, but really the threat has really been a rise of um, a lot of these white supremacist groups here in the U.S., and that's something to, to, to look at in that article on slide 16, uh, or just turn on the news because there's so many recent examples of this. Um, we also have a lot of interesting domestic terrorist cases like the KKK, right, would be considered a, a domestic terrorist group. I have a, um, a group here called the Weather Underground, which was a really interesting group of terrorists. They were rich white kids, you know, kids that would have gone to Harvard or Columbia or some Ivy League school. So not your normal in terms of thinking about terrorists. Uh, but they used to, in the 70s, they planted bombs um, in places and they would go on the radio and say things like, um, you know, we've planted a bomb in this hospital, clear out the hospital, the bomb's going to go off and, you know, on Thursday at 5 p.m. Um, and so I have like a little video there to explain them. Um, I, before September 11th on slide 19, you have, um, Timothy McVeigh, who was, um, the man responsible for the Oklahoma, Oklahoma city bombing. He was, um, he was responsible for the biggest terrorist attack on our country, um, before September 11th. And if you watched Saeed video all the way through, which I really hope you do, um, Saeed talks about this event that happened in 95 where, and they'll show clips from the media. So when the bomb went off in Oklahoma city, um, 
immediately the media as well as a lot of police reports went out that they were looking for three Middle Eastern men. Um, it ended up being Timothy McVeigh, who was a military veteran who uh, parked his truck of explosives outside this federal building in Oklahoma um, and blew up and blew up the building. I have two pictures there, one, one of Mc, McVeigh himself and the other one, which is one of the most famous pictures coming out of this terrible attack, were in the building on the lower floor was a kindergarten um, at, or a preschool daycare. And, and so sadly, a, a lot of children died. Um, and um, this is one of the most influential pictures that came out of um, this attack, which the firemen holding um, the poor little kid. Finally, uh, we have the Oklahoma bombing. Uh, sorry, uh, the Boston Marathon bombing, right? That happened in 2013, uh, where we have two Chetan American brothers who, um, right, um, detonated a bomb during the Boston Marathon, right, killing three people and injuring um, 16, uh, sorry, se sorry, injuring several hundred people, um, including 16 who lost limbs. And so in terms of thinking about terrorism and where we are with terrorism today, um, there's a lot of to challenge here and there's a lot of complexity to think about. One, this idea of, of terrorism um, and why people like sort of, again, engage in this. And, and two, thinking about our relationship with terrorism, particularly the rise of our domestic terror, uh, terrorist attacks here. Um, compared to still thinking about terrorism as a very outside example in terms of having other people come in and and, and do these acts when usually it, it actually is the opposite in terms of, of what's happening within our na nation's history. Um, so just, just some stuff to think about. All right, I've tried again to keep this under 20 minutes, and again, I fail, but it's not too bad this time. Um, of course, if you have any questions, please email me. Um, your paper is due soon so make sure you guys are working on your paper um and have a good day bye-bye